All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, as Pastor Vince said, it's, it's an honor to be up here. Uh, for any of the new faces in here, I see quite a few. My wife and I, uh, Pastor Brittany, who is up here singing, uh, have the privilege of leading the youth ministry here at Faith and then helping her however I can on the worship side. But 100% of the musical talent in our marriage was given to her. So I'm usually back there with headphones on, pretending like I know what I'm doing. But um, yeah, it's such an honor to be up here this morning, getting the chance to share with you guys. And I'm very, very excited about this. So let's pray together. God, thank you so, so much for this community. Lord, thank you for um, everything you've been doing in this church, God, and not just in the walls, Lord, but in, in every person in this church and uh, through the ways we've been able to go outside of the church. We're so thankful for um, your presence in this place and in our lives and in Sarah Mesa, and we're thankful for the opportunity to partner with you, God, and um, I thank you for this word that I believe that you gave me, Lord, but I just humbly ask um, that you would that you would take the reins this morning, Lord God, and anything in this uh, preparation that was not of you, would you hit the delete button, Lord, and anything that maybe I forgot, would you, uh, by your grace, add it in there, and would you communicate to this room exactly what you have for them this morning, Lord. So thankful, and I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so um, I'm going to start with a, a little story. Last year, Pastor Brittany and I my wife went to the Angels opening day game, and if you know me, that is like the pinnacle of happiness for me. So we get to the stadium, and I made this decision right before first pitch. I have time to go run and get a hot dog. I really thought that I did, and I told Brittany while we were going in, I'm like, we have to see the first pitch. We have to get there. Like, I want to be a half hour early. I want to be the last person out of the stadium. So we get there. And as I am walking to get my hot dog, I hear this voice, and it's, Jeremiah! And I recognize the voice immediately. It was a friend of mine that I went to college with named Vince. And right in that moment, he's, he's known as a talker, awesome guy, I love the guy a lot. But right in that moment, my first thought was like, I'm, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the first pitch. And... <laughs> The reason I tell that story is in that moment, he saw me from behind wearing, wearing the jersey, wearing a couple different hats. I go kind of all out at games. And he, he saw me and he knew me. And right away, he was able to identify me by my name. And he calls out, Jeremiah. So we are identified by our names. Um, but in the Bible, there are kind of many names that are given to God. You will very rarely in the Bible just hear God referred to as like God or like in, in the way that we would. There are, there are many names given. For example, we hear God referred to as Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. Uh, we hear God referred to as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We hear God referred to as Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. And there's this really cool concept in the Bible that I think we've lost, that God is often identified by his characteristics as opposed to just his name. And I think that's this really cool level of respect that is often ascribed 
to God that I, I think we miss on a lot. So there's one that I want to focus on today. It's up there on the screen. It's El Royi. And what that means is the God who sees me. So not just the God who sees, not just the omnipresent God who sees everything, but the God who sees me, the God who sees Jeremiah Gerard standing on stage in San Diego, the God who sees me personally, the God who sees you, the God who sees us. So there's, there's this story that I want to get to in just a moment in the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16, if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn to that. Um, a little bit before this, in chapter 12, God appears to Abram at the time, and he gives him this promise. He says that your name will be great. He tells him that he will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, that he will be a great nation. Um, but at this point that we're about to get to, Abram is 85 years old and has no descendants yet. So I know body clocks were a little bit different back then. I am always blown away reading Genesis and seeing like the ages that some people live to. So I know that it was a bit different, but 85 with no descendants, with an outstanding promise that you are going to be you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. That probably sat a little bit weird with Abram at this point. So we get to Genesis chapter 16, and this happens. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are El Royi. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So there's this story that 
the angel, angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, and she identifies God as Elroi. She says, you are the God who sees me. And this, this story just blows my mind, this like personal interaction that, that she has with, with God through the angel of the Lord um, and just how he chose to do that. So I think the first thing that comes from this that we should know is that you are seen. You are seen right where you are by El Roy. So if we look at this, where is, where is Hagar now? She had spent most, if not all, of her life in Abram's household. That was home. Those people were her family. She had laughed there. She had cried there. She had felt every emotion you can there, most likely. And she's, she's serving Abram. And there's this sense that she would have been some kind of high-up servant because she was chosen for a task like this. It was very likely not they casted straws and picked a person. There was a, there was a relationship there, and there was a trust, at least between Sarai and Hagar, that like, yeah, this is the servant that I trust this task to. And now she feels betrayed, and she feels hurt. And sure, there's some things in there about maybe some pride that she showed, and maybe some ways that she tried to kind of undermine Sarai in that moment. But in her mind, all she did was what she was asked to do. It wasn't like she went behind Sarai's back and went and had this interaction with Abraham. She was asked to do this. This was a task that was given to her by her master. But now she's being mistreated, as the text said. And now she's running away from her old life. She doesn't know where she's going Um, but she finds herself at this spring in the middle of nowhere. She's hot, she's tired, she's confused, and she's pregnant. I I can't imagine all of these feelings and all of these things that are going on in her mind, but at this spring, in the middle of the desert, the angel of the Lord appears to her. So God sends this angel both to confront and to comfort Hagar. Through this angel, through the angel of the Lord, Hagar discovers that God sees our circumstances and our hurts, and she identifies God by a name that we have not yet seen in the text, El Roy. She says, truly, I have seen him who sees me. So she had run, and she finds herself here. Her pride meets with Sarai's anger, and all that she could think to do is get out of there. And I, I don't blame her. Uh, knowing myself, I probably would have had a very similar response. But we do see this notion that there was some pride there, that when she knew she was pregnant, it says she grew to despise her mistress. She stopped taking the role of a servant, and she was holding Ishmael over Sarai's head. She was able to do for Abraham and for his promise, what Sarai couldn't. She was bearing him this child, and now she, in her mind, is able to step in as the co-bringer of this promise and uproot what Sarai felt like was hers. 
But what I love is there isn't this sense that God sends her, you know, some kind of, some kind of message or it's just some voice or a speaking. There is a physical being or some kind of identifiable being that appears to her. The angel of the Lord appears to her and she has now met God. And I know for us in, in similar situations or in places where maybe we're feeling like we're the outcast. We're feeling like we are running away. That maybe, oh, it's, it's awesome that Hagar got to encounter God, but I don't think that's going to happen for me. You don't, you don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But what I love is that this, this story right here is the first usage of that term, the angel of the Lord. This is the first recorded time in the Bible that the angel of the Lord appears to someone. And who does he choose to appear to? Not to Adam or Eve. Not to Enoch. Not to Noah. Not to Abram. But to a young mother stranded in the desert, alone, scared, hurt, terrified, no destination, a marginalized woman who has been mistreated and is now an outcast from who many consider to be the father of the faith. And that is who the angel appears to first. Despite maybe some sin in her life, despite her pain in society and this feeling of being unworthy and alone, this feeling of being too far gone for God to reach, God sees her and God comes to her. So we know that God sees us. And one thing I think is important to say, God was Elroy before this happened. Hagar was seen by God before this happened. It's not like God all of a sudden is like, oh, there she is, my eyes are open now. But she realized in this moment who God was. It was her moment of realization, but it was not the moment that God started working. She had been seen the whole time. She was always seen. God was always with her. So my question for us this morning is can we in our hearts truly identify God as El Royi in our own life? Can we truly identify that we are seen by God personally? And then from here, the angel sends her back, right? Tells her to go back to her mistress. And this, this just blows my mind. He sends her back, and in her mind, she's like, oh, God's here. There's, there's deliverance coming. And God says, not yet. God sends her back to this situation, but he sends her back with a promise that he will multiply her descendants to a number that cannot be counted. He sends her back with a promise that was very similar to the promise given to Abram. The wording's different a little bit, but he sends her back with that promise. So in this moment, she's having like oh man, I thought I was brought into this promise and now I'm outcasted and not. God says that promise is still with you, but I'm sending you back. She still didn't know what was coming. She didn't know what she was going to walk back into. She didn't know how Sarai was going to act. 
but she knew she was protected. She knew she wasn't alone. She knew she was seen, and she knew she had a promise from God. And one of the words that God communicated to me in the preparation for this is, in my mind, when I'm in a situation similar, when I'm in a dark place, to me, healing and deliverance and being removed from the situation are one and the same. But what God says here is that may not always be true. And now there are sometimes that is true. And there are some situations that by his grace, God will pull us right out of and we need that. But there are other times where God's work begins or we begin to notice God's work while we're still in that place. And in this case with Hagar, maybe the pride issue, maybe the other things, maybe the feelings of unworthiness, there was some work that God needed to do that had to be done in the place that she was in. There was, there was, some, there was some breakthrough that needed to happen in that place. So she goes back to that place. But what changed was she was now letting herself be seen. God had always seen her, but for us, we know we are seen, but we have to make the choice to be seen. One of my pastors growing up used to say that God's the perfect gentleman, and what he meant by that was that he has all the power in the world to do whatever he wants, but he won't act on someone who doesn't want it, or we won't see that work if we're not looking. We, he wants to hear from us, this is what I need, this is where I'm going. And in this moment, Hagar is letting herself be seen. And the second point is that you are cared for. There's this meeting of needs in multiple ways that happens here. First, God meets Hagar's physical needs. If you notice, God didn't appear to her miles from a spring where she doesn't know what's going to happen. God appeared to her in the place where that spring was. Her mind's racing and she stopped at the spring. And I used to live in this town called Bishop in Central California. If you've ever been there, it's one of the most beautiful places in California. It's a really cool place. And there's this road called Artesian Road. And it's all of these natural springs that it is the greatest water in the world. Like, you could talk about Hawaii all you want. You could talk about the beaches all you want. But there's something from jumping into a 120-degree desert into this natural pool of water in the ground that is the greatest feeling ever. So on this road, there's seven springs. And a lot of times you drive out there and you get met with the disappointment that they're all taken. And <laughs> I remember times that I'd be driving and I'd be like yelling like, ah, like I'm so disappointed. I, I was so excited to jump in that spring and I'm sitting in an air-conditioned car. And in this experience, Hagar is in the middle of the desert on a very long journey. So she's found this spring, and I can't imagine what she's feeling. I can't imagine the joy that she has. I'm thinking there's this moment of, I want to keep going, but man, this is, this is kind of cool. I kind of want to stay here. I kind of want to be here. And I can't imagine this overwhelming feeling she's feeling that she's finally found 
a place of comfort. She's wondering if she should keep going, but right here in this moment, God meets her, and it's almost like this place of, man, you think this feeling is good. Watch what, watch what I'm about to do. Watch what's coming next. And then there's this meeting of her emotional and spiritual needs, which we've been talking about a lot lately. God asked her two questions. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? And from us in our cultural context, it's easy to read those questions as like, hey, where have you come from? Where are you going? Oh, cool, you're coming from there? You're going there? All right, cool, have a good day. And then we walk away. That's not at all what God did in this moment. Elroy is looking her in the eyes, and he's not just asking questions for some short answer, and then he'll go on with his day. He is asking her her story. He's asking her her journey. He is showing a deep concern with who she's been, who she is now, who she's going to be, where she's been. He's showing this really deep concern. He's giving her deep eye contact. And again, we know God knew the answer to those questions. But again, he's giving her an opportunity to choose to be seen, to choose to acknowledge the God that sees her. He's asking her story, and the answer that she gives is, is telling. And in this moment, what I love with those questions, though, I, I heard it said it was by a guy, um, Glenn Packiam. He's a pastor up in Orange County. He wrote a book called Blessed, Broken, and Given. And he makes this comment. He says, God was not launching an interrogation. God was beginning an intervention. He wasn't asking those questions just to fill out a test. He was asking those questions because he knew now she's opening up. Now she's being seen. And then in that book, In Blessed, Broken, and Given, Dr. Pacquiam says this. He says, God told Hagar to go back to Abraham's house, not because God condoned Sarai's mistreatment of her. And that is so important to this story. God is not condoning what is happening. God is not standing in agreement with that. But, this is what he says, but because there was no other way for Hagar to be saved, she would die in that wilderness, but in Abraham's house, she would still be covered by the blessing. God's hand was on that household, and Hagar would benefit from it. She would be sustained and fed, and when the time came for her to leave, God would provide, God would provide for her and her son in a new way. So she knew her origin, and she thought she knew her destiny, but in this moment, Elroy is writing her, rewriting her story right in front of her. Right in this moment, Elroy is showing that he cares for her needs. And now, in, in her mind, she's coming from somewhere she felt the need to flee from, and she's being sent back to that. But again, now she's being sent back with the promise and Essentially the same promise that was given to Abraham. And then my last point here is that Elroy is working. Even, like I said, in that place where it feels like to her, your working would be getting me out of this situation, Elroy is already going to work. He's working on some of those things in her heart. She's providing, he's providing this place for her 
like it says there, where, where her needs will be met, and she will now be able to go and have that great nation. She will now be able to go and have descendants that are too big to be numbered. But if she would have been stuck in that wilderness, she would have died before that could have happened. I, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure even still she wanted to be removed from that situation. And then what I find as the most challenging part, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I, anybody who knows me knows this is true, anybody who doesn't, I can be very stubborn. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I like to have my own way, and I, I'm really working on it, I think I'm getting better, I'm not always the most teachable person. So what's crazy here to me is that not only is she sent back, but she's told to submit herself to Sarai. She's told to submit herself under her hand. In this moment, what welled up in me, which I'm, I'm thinking came up here too, is she's being asked essentially to repent here. She was the one who was wrong. She was the one who was mistreated. And like, like I've acknowledged and said, yeah, there were some issues there. There were some things that she didn't handle perfectly. But she's being wronged. She's being mistreated. And now she's being asked to go back and submit. But that's because she's being called to obedience. She's not just being called to comfort. And if she would have just been plucked from her situation there and placed somewhere else, that person that got plucked out would be the same person that is now set down here in a different situation. But God is working. Elroy is working. He's doing things in her life so that when she gets set on this place and she steps into that promise that her descendants will be too much to count, this person is much more in a place to enjoy that than this person. This person has a much bigger understanding of how amazing that is. This person is going to have so much more joy than this person would have. And what I love is that she wanted God to take her from that circumstance, but what God wanted was he wanted in to that circumstance. She wanted out, but God wanted in. And as I was praying for this, God took me to my El Royi moment, which I think is important to share as we close here. Um, uh, some of you know this story, but I found Jesus in foster care. Um, I am a foster youth. Um, God's done a lot, and I have both of my parents back in my life, thank God. At least one of them is watching right now, which is truly an honor. But when I found God, I was a couple months removed from a social worker coming to my school. Mind you, I'm a seventh grader. I don't know what a social worker is, and I'm told there's a social worker here to see you. So I walk into that room, and they ask me all these questions, like, do you have any bruises? I'm like, yeah, I'm a 12-year-old boy. Like, yeah, I do. And they, they start asking more questions, like, did any of these come from your parents? No, but like, they're asking all these questions, and basically they tell me, you're not going home today. You are going to your grandma's house. It could be six days. It could be six months. It could be six years. Have a great day. Go back to class. Um, 
And through this awesome thing, um, there was something, I forget the exact details of it, but basically my mom could get, or dad could get an extra visitation if it was to take me to church. So my mom has the idea, let's go to church. So we go to church, and I'd like to tell you this story about I walk in and see lights and hear the voice of God right away. That didn't happen, but what I did see right when I walked in was donuts. (laughs) And in that moment, the donuts were more appealing to me. The donuts were exactly what I wanted. I grew up before that with my parents were like, you eat whatever you want. And then now I'm living with my grandma where her answer to, hey, grandma, I'm hungry, is have a glass of orange juice. I'm going to start dinner in a couple hours. So I'm going through a lot. And I see these donuts, and I am just stoked. So that's what gets me going back to church. But then I met this man named Dave, uh, who was one of my youth leaders. Um, And he just stepped in to that gap for me. And he would always ask me this question where he would say, hey, have you talked to God about this yet? And a lot of times that red is kind of sarcastic, and that red is like, oh yeah, have you talked to God about that? But he meant that. And what he was telling me is exactly this, have you let God see you? Have you let El Royi see this situation that you are in? So I took that seriously. I began to talk to, the God, to El Royi, and I began to feel peace. Depression became manageable. I began to build relationships. People checked up on me. Dave at the time was a 19-year-old who did a couple guitar lessons here and there for work. And if you guys know the Orange County area, Orange County, LA County area very well, he would drive from Roland Heights to Tustin to pick me up, to take me to Roland Heights for a junior high small group, to take me back to Tustin every week. If you do that drive in traffic, which he would have had to, He was doing about three hours of round-trip driving a a week to get one kid. And in that moment, I was seen. And I, I had been wronged. All that I wanted was to be home. Exactly. Like I said, I wanted out. I wanted out of my situation. But the the grace of God wanted in. And instead of an angry kid getting in fights, getting plucked out of that situation, and now returning to the place that that anger started, Elroy was working. And the kid, the kid who returned home was joyful, was happy. And there were a few more incidents after that. That wasn't the full moment of breakthrough in my family. But when those incidents came up, that kid had Jesus. And it couldn't have gone any better. So in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, but I, I really feel this morning, and if we, I know we have some men and women that would love to come up here and join us and 
be willing to pray for some people. I really feel like this sermon came from a place this morning of God challenging us, Elroy challenging us to be seen. And in those places of our situations that we are feeling like, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Why is this my situation? The God who sees you wants you to be seen today. So I would just encourage you, like I said, there's going to be plenty of women and men up here. I, I will be up here. And we would love to have that opportunity to pray with you and invite Elroyi into those situations. So God, thank you so much. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, after all these years, I'm still blown away that the one who created everything, the almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing God, chooses to, to see me and to concern himself with my life. And, and that, is, that is amazing, Lord. So would we feel that sense in this room today of, of being seen? And in those places where we feel like maybe there's something that we don't want to show you because there's shame or there's fear or there's hurt or there's anger, Lord, would we trust that with you today? Or trust you with that today, and would we give that to you today? Would we have our moment at the spring where the God who sees me appears? And would we be seen this, this morning? Would we realize we're seen? Would we realize we're cared for? And Lord, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I just pray for some awesome breakthrough in this room this morning, God, that... Um, I love that we don't have to pray the right way or say the right things or do the right things for you to show up. Lord, we fully acknowledge your Holy Spirit that is in this room, and we just pray that we would come together and, and partner with your Spirit that's already working and step into that, Lord. So um, we just continue to make room for you, pray that your will would be done, and we just pray for this time together to pray and fellowship that... Um, your love would be felt in this room, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.